Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners once again. So thankful to have this opportunity to be together with you each day as we open up God's Word, dig a little bit deeper, study a little bit more, and learn so much more from God's rich teachings and truths. And you know, the Bible contains so much information. It is the greatest body of knowledge that has been compiled into book form that the world has ever seen. The greatest body of knowledge, bar none, no exceptions. Within it, we learn of the mighty majesty and power of God, but also his love and his mercy, his grace. We learn about his rich promises and blessings that he offers mankind, but also about his justice and also, Father, about, uh, and also about his judgment, what he expects of us. We learn of the goodness, pure goodness of God, and how he hates evil. You see, if the world would simply turn to God through his word and simply live by those teachings, oh, this world would be so much better a place to live than what it is right now. We want to encourage you to have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready. At the end of the program today, we'll tell you how you can contact us. Jot down that information and then do that. Ask for the free Bible study that we offer. It can really help you change your life spiritually. In fact, it can help you get to heaven. We offer that free Bible study, as we said, free. We'll even take care of the postage. We don't ask you to send us anything for it. That doesn't sound free to us. We want to send it to you, and we'll even take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD for free, and again, we'll take care of the postage. So have that pencil or pen and piece of paper in hand. Now, we also encourage you to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. On that website, you can click on the Listen button, and you can listen to all kinds of radio programs that are archived on that site. You can also click on the Articles button, and you can download and study through hundreds, literally hundreds of articles that are based upon God's Word. And so you can do a great deal of study that way. But you can also scroll down our homepage to the podcast button, and you can sign up for our podcasting. That's free as well. And when you do that, you will automatically receive all of our sermons, all of our Bible classes, all of today's Bible classes, short 13-minute study each day, and all of our radio programs. All of them will be sent to your device automatically. And again, all of that is free. So tremendous Bible study resources available to you, all for free. You just have to put your time into going through them and studying them. But that's your, your part. We try to do our part to help you along that line by making them available to you for free. So we hope you'll take advantage of all of that. Now last time we began studying about God's grace. And we talked about how there's a lot of emphasis these days, but it seems like it's on an ongoing basis about the need to teach and preach on the grace of God. But 
what is the grace of God? What are we talking about when we speak, use the word grace, and especially in reference to God and his grace toward us? Well, we talked about an acrostic, taking the letters of the word and putting them in individual word form, describing yeah, to a pretty good degree what grace really is, and that is God's riches at Christ's expense. And that is pretty good. We've talked about grace often being defined as God's favor toward man and from the perspective that it is unmerited, that is unearned, undeserved, nothing we can do to obligate God to, ex to extend his grace toward us. And I've said that I really think that it's easier to describe God's grace than it is to define God's grace. We talked about how justice is when we get what we deserve. Mercy is when we do not get what we deserve. Ah, but grace is when we receive goodness that we do not deserve. And when God sent his son to go to that cross, to die, to pay the price for the guilt of our sins, oh, that was God's grace in action. The Apostle Paul said, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We did not deserve that death on the cross. We did not deserve God sending his son into this world in human form to suffer that death on that cross. But God did it anyway for us. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 9, the writer said, We see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, in that he came in human form. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You talk about God's grace? What a tremendous demonstration that God showed us of his grace when he sent Jesus into this world to die to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Because you see, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse 23. And we're all guilty of sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. But you see the rest of verse 23 in chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And getting into this particular study, and we're going to spend some time on studying about God's grace. I talked about how usually it seems that studies on grace seem to primarily emphasize a very narrow focus on our total dependence upon God's grace for salvation. 
Again, Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift from God, and it is by his grace. No question about that. In Romans 3 and verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, Jesus had to go to that cross. He had to die because the wages of sin is death again. Separation from God. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. We could not pay the price ourselves. Now, because of sin, man dies physically. Remember that when the first man and the first woman sinned, disobeyed God, ate of the forbidden fruit, God drove them out of the Garden of Eden, wherein was the tree of life. As long as they had access to the tree of life, they could live forever, forever, sinless, without any guilt of sin. But when they sinned, everything changed. And so they no longer could have access to the tree of life in that garden. Physical death became an instant reality for them. But you see again, spiritual death, separation from God, that was far worse. And that also became an instant reality. Again, referring to Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. So God, in his justice, could have just brought them to an end. Brought humanity to a conclusion right there. They had become sinners. They had rebelled against God, disobeyed. But God loves us. He created us in his image with a soul, with a spiritual being, as well as with a physical being. And so God already had the plan for man's redemption in mind. He already knew what he was going to do. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, he, he prophesied, gave the first messianic prophecy of the coming Savior. And that would be totally by God's grace. Totally. Nothing we can do to effect that gift from God on our own, by ourselves, obligating him to do that for us. It was totally by his grace. In Romans chapter 4, in verse 4, we don't earn our salvation. We don't obligate God to pay us with forgiveness and redemption and salvation because of good works that we do. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, those particular understandings seem to be kind of the conclusion, the summation of what seems to be communicated through most lessons on salvation by grace. 
it is all God. We cannot save ourselves. But does God expect anything from us in response to his offer of grace? Do we have any part in it? Now, I'm, again, I'm not suggesting. I've been emphasizing right along. We cannot save ourselves. We're saved only by God's grace. But God does expect a response to his offer of grace in order for us to receive his grace. You see there in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, I'm afraid most people stop with verse 9. By grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But the next verse, still part of that immediate context, reads as follows. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If God prepared good works for us beforehand, and when you read through these first several chapters of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it talks a number of times about God's foreknowledge and what he already had planned for mankind before the creation of the world, before the creation of mankind for certain. And so beforehand, I think we can probably understand as referring to that time context. Before he ever created us, he knew what we were going to do, that we were going to sin, that we would need forgiveness, and by his grace, he already had the plan in mind. But you see, we have to respond to the plan. And so God already had good works in mind for us in response to his grace. He had prepared those good works for us that we should walk in them. We have a responsibility to respond toward God in the grace that he has extended, that he has offered to us. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul wrote, speaking of Jesus Christ, who was sent to this world in human form to go to the cross, to die, to pay the price for the guilt of our sins, when we did not have it coming, and that was by God's grace. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Huh. There it is again. Zealous for good works. In the third chapter of Titus, verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful. Now, literally, the word careful means full of care. In other words, you're giving diligent attention to whatever comes next. 
that those who believe in God should be careful to maintain, that would be on an ongoing basis, good works. If God has prepared good works for us to pursue and live in and fulfill, do we not have a responsibility to do those good works? Now, I think most people who would say, nothing you can do to bring about your own salvation is all by God's grace. Well, again, it is all by God's grace. But what if we don't do what God instructs us to do in offering us salvation by his grace? One thing is, he says, I've got a bunch of good works for you to do. I prepared these good works for you beforehand. Do we have a responsibility to do those good works? What if we don't do those good works? Will God's grace still extend to us? Will he still offer us his grace? What did Paul mean in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 when he wrote, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, oh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, do we have a responsibility to obey God, his teachings? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14 and verse 15. What if we don't obey? Will God still extend his grace toward us? Will he still save us by his grace? Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also, uh, but how much now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Does that not put some responsibility upon us in response to God's offer of salvation by grace? When Peter was preaching on Pentecost, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation through Christ by the gift of God, or by the grace of God. What did Peter mean in Acts chapter two and verse forty when he said, "Save yourselves from this untoward generation"? Acts two and verse forty, King James version. Sounds like we have some responsibility. God expects some kind of response on our part to his offer of our salvation by his grace. Now, when you try to remove any responsibility from us in response to God's offer of grace, you see, we've got some problems, don't we? Because we've seen, Paul's already talked about obedience. Jesus said, if you really love me, you're going to keep my commandments. He didn't say that just once. He went on there in, in John chapter 14, after saying that in verse 15, he said it again in verse 21. And then he said it again in verse 23. And then in verse 24, he looked at it from the reverse perspective and he said, the one who does not obey me is the one who does not love me. Or do you think we could be saved without loving Jesus? 
do you think? Of course God expects a response on our part. You know, I remember a story about a young boy. I think he was around 10 or 12 years old. And he attended some church service at some denominational church that was teaching on salvation by grace only. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And so he responded to the invitation, and I believe he was prayed for and basically pronounced as having been saved. So afterwards, as service was being concluded, as the young boy was leaving the church building that day, the preacher said, well, see you next Sunday. And the little boy said, oh, no, you won't. I'll be riding my bicycle next Sunday. I'm saved. I can't be lost. That was what the preacher told him, what he taught him. That's what got through in the young man's mind. And so he, I've been saved. That's it. I don't have to be here anymore. I'll be out enjoying myself riding my bicycle. You see, that is the ultimate understanding of salvation by grace with no responsibility on our part to respond to God's grace in any way. But even those who teach that, <clears throat> saying you can do nothing, you have nothing to do with your salvation, they don't really believe that. Because if you began asking them, well, do I need to obey God's teachings? Well, they would say, oh, well, sure you do. You need to obey. Oh, well, that's something I have to do then. Jesus said, except you repent, that is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. In other words, you're turning away from sin. And so if you ask those folks who teach, there's nothing you can do. Well, what about if, if I, do I need to repent of my sins? Well, sure, yeah, you need to repent of your sins. Well, that's something I need to do. That's active on my part. Do I need to obey God? Well, sure, you need to obey. Well, that's active on my part. So that's something I must do. When I respond to God in repentance and obedience, it's not I who save myself. It's God who saves me by his grace. But if I don't respond to him in the ways that he has laid out for me in Scripture, then I cannot expect his grace to be extended to me through salvation. In a sense, I've rejected his offer of salvation by grace. I have to believe. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I must believe in Jesus as my Savior and God's Son and my Lord. Jesus said, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's response on my part. Necessary 
absolutely necessary response on my part. I must believe, and that's active. God will not make me believe. I have to make that change in my life, myself, based upon his teachings. That's the first active response to God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ by his grace. We're going to stop here. We'll come back, study some more next time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us so much that by your grace you offer us forgiveness, redemption, salvation, eternal life through Jesus Christ. But Father, help us to see how you expect us to respond to that offer. First, in active belief, faith, that will lead us to repent of our sins and to be obedient to you. Help us to see, Father, how this world needs your grace. Help us to help them see. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.